welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go out in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' um, feast of booths was at hand, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go, go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret and he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, sh- um, sorry, <laughs> show to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about about it that it work it works our evil. You go up you go up to the feast. I am not going going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet the fear of the Jews, no one spoke, o- yet for the fear of the Jews, the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that a man has, has not learning um, when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teachings is not mine, uh, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether, it, whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowds answered, you have, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did. But I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and, your circumcision, er, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with angry with me because of the Sabbath, I made a man whole whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. Um, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, um, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and that they, they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know that where where this man comes from, and when the, when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come, come into, on my own accord. He, is, he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him. He sent me. So they, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. 
Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So I wanted to ask Ben to read that just because it's a longer passage and uh, it helps to break up, you know, who's speaking. So, so I, I, like, you, like you heard, we're going to be in John chapter 7. And, uh, but let me back up and say, so my home has been a flurry of activity over the last week. And uh, I'm very thankful for, you know, um, Alex preaching last week. And this goes off without a hitch, without me, which I'm so thankful for. You guys don't need me. That's uh, such a great community we have going here. So um, that's awesome. And uh, I wasn't here because my son was born the day before. Yes. Yes. So do we have a picture? Well, he's, he's actually in the back row, but I don't know if we have a picture. I, it's okay, Corey. That his name is Maverick John, and he was born at 11.42 p.m., and it was, it was quite the ordeal. It was quite, quite crazy, um, because we kind of had a lot of false alarms, you know what I mean, over the last couple weeks. And so Wednesday rolls around, and I'm in complete disbelief. I'm like, my wife goes at 4 o'clock, she kind of goes into labor, but I, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm in denial. I'm like, you're not in labor. <laughs> Never say that to your wife. You're not... <laughs> You're not in labor. <laughs> and so I'm kind of, I get home, I'm kind of lollygagging in the kitchen, making food. And then all of a sudden, she's like doubled over, like in pain. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe she's in labor. <laughs> so we're in a flurry of activity. We get to the hospital at 930, and my son's born literally two hours later. So it was amazing. It was crazy. Uh, I went fast, but we're praising God for, for his provision. Um, so I, I can't wait for you to meet him. He's in the back row. If, if everyone wants to group hug him after, my wife will love that. Um, um, but, uh, man, it, w- what I was thinking about is it's so amazing how so much suffering can result in something so joyful. Um, my, uh, just seeing my wife in pain is suffering. Um, but then to get to the other side and see, wow, my son's here. And, and just the tears of joy. Um, streaming down. I don't cry a lot, but I, I cry every time my kids are born. I cried <laughs> like a little baby. Um, it's just amazing um, that that suffering gives birth to that. Um, and that's actually what I want to talk about tonight is suffering. I want to I want to I want to bring out um, because I th- I believe that the scripture brings that out in this in this text tonight. And so my question to you is, what is your theology, or what what do you believe about suffering as a Christian? Um, R.C. Sproul likes to say that everyone is a theologian. Um, Everyone has thoughts about God. Everyone has thoughts about the Bible. But the question is, are they correct thoughts? Are they right thoughts? And so I have the same question for you in regards of suffering. Do you have a biblical view of suffering or do you you not? And um, uh, there's kind of two, most, most Christians, not all Christians, but most Christians fall into two categories when it comes to suffering. And the first one is pessimists. And pessimists are the, are the people that tend more toward everything's terrible, life's hard, everything is suffering, suffering, suffering. And these people have a hard time trusting God, right? Um, but then you have the other bucket that people fall into, which is optimism, overly optimistic. There's no suffering in life. I'm going to have health, wealth, and freedom. The Lord's going to give it to me. And... On the flip side, if you have any suffering, you go, something must be wrong. I can't suffer. There should be no suffering. I'm doing something wrong. 
But it's amazing to see when we come to the Bible is that both, um, both beliefs are not biblical um, assumptions about what suffering is. Um, because what suffering is, um, well, I'll get there, but both are lacking in a biblical view of suffering. So what does the Bible teach? Uh, the Bible teaches that suffering is part of the Christian life. <laughs> it's part of it. Um, the call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call to suffer. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But it's a call to suffer. It's a, it's a call to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Um, you know, it's, it's, not the, it's the narrow and hard road that leads to life, right? Um, and if you're, if you're finding the easy and wide road, it's actually the way that leads to destruction. Um, a further thought on that is, you know, if, if, you, if you're truly obeying Christ, if you're answering the call to be a disciple, you're going to run into trials. You're going to run into suffering. You know how much it takes to rescue someone, to pray for someone, pursue someone, to walk alongside them and help them repent of their sin, help them learn how to pray, help them learn the word, disciple them. You know how much hardship and, and difficulty that's going to bring upon you? Number one, because Satan hates that. He's in opposition to discipleship. So he's going to make your life hard. And number two, it's going to, when you're wrestling soul away from him in the power of the Spirit, you're going to experience suffering. So suffering's a part of the Christian life. It's a part of a biblical Christianity. Jesus even said this. He said in John chapter 16, he said, in the world you will have trouble, verse 33. He says, in me you will have peace. So to the pessimist, hey, yes, the world is hard, but in me you'll have peace. But also to the optimist, hey, in the world you will have trouble. And what Jesus is saying is we need a balanced view of suffering. So that's what we're aiming at tonight. That's what the nail we're trying to hit down tonight. And so my title is Thriving in Suffering. How can I thrive? How can I abound? How can I be like Paul? I know how to abound. I know how to be brought low. I have learned the secret of being content. How do I get there? Well, tonight I want to examine, I believe that this text lays out four major trials, major people groups that come up against Jesus, and I want to lay them out, and I want to show how this can help us have a biblical view of suffering. So um, that's where I'm going. The first trial, so point number one, we're just going to jump right into it. Some of you are like, whoa, you're driving too fast. Okay, I'll slow down, and I'll say point number one, the first trial that Jesus goes up against is his manipulating brothers. His manipulating brothers. I wish I could say that all families were loving and uh, were for each other, but that's not the case, right? And so some of us in the room even know. Um, some of you have families that are not life-giving. Um, but it may comfort you to know that Jesus had a really hard family life. His brothers actually, in verse 5, it says they didn't believe in him. Um, but look at, look at what his brothers say. In, so Ben's read the passage, so I'm just going to kind of pick um, and show you these verses. But it says, um, so the Feast of Booths was at hand, um, and his brothers, in verse 3, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. <laughs> Interesting that in verse 1 it says, he would not go about in Judea, Jesus, because they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> so here his brothers are like, go to Judea, man. Come on, bro. I thought you'd care about me. Um, so, um, Jesus' brothers are urging him to go to the feast, um, and this is, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, 
Um, it's one of the most sacred Jewish holidays. Um, it occurs every six months, and, it ha and it's seven days long, <laughs> this feast. So when was the last time you had a party at your house for seven days? It was a, it, like, I've never been to a seven-day party. Um, but the Jews, in order to celebrate um, and remember God's presence in the, in the camp of Israel, they would have this feast every year, the Feast of Booths. And, and so it's, it's called uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I just have to bring out, the Bible nerd in me has to bring out that Jesus is the new tabernacle. So in, in John chapter 1, he says, For the word became flesh and dwelt. You know what that word dwelt means? It means tabernacle. So Jesus literally tabernacled among us. And here Jesus is going to his own feast, and the Jews are like, yeah, we're remembering the feast of the of booths of tabernacle. And Jesus is like, I'm the fulfillment. I am the tabernacle. I am God with us. So just an ironic thing. Um, but that's what the feast of tabernacles or booths was. But his, uh, but his brothers say, Jesus, go up to the feast so that you're known. Verse 4 says, they say to him, For no one works in secret if he wants to be known openly. Jesus, if you want to be popular, you don't go to the wilderness. You don't follow John's example where he went out to the wilderness and somehow he was drawing crowds. Jesus, if you want to be popular, you got to go to Galilee, or actually, sorry, Judea. But is their advice really altruistic? Is it genuine? No, because in verse 5 it says they, they didn't believe in him. His own brothers didn't believe in him. Um, and, you know, we can, we can speculate. Maybe they, standed, they stood to gain financially or socially from, from Jesus going to the feast. We don't know, uh, but we do know that uh, their, their motives aren't correct. And Jesus' own brothers don't believe him and are urging him into danger. <laughs> um, they're they're kind of relating to Jesus on their own, for their own benefit. Um, and a good illustration of this is when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I uh, only had friends. I had some friends that were only friends with me because I was good at math. And I was really good at um, geometry. And I could tell you how to do the proofs. And people were, literally would befriend me because I was good at those proofs. They were using me. Ah, I wish I could have seen that back in my, my freshman year days. They were manipulating me because I was good at geometry. And now I don't even use geometry in my job. So it was useless. But they were manipulating me. They wanted only to use the, 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 my, my skill. Thank you, Paul. My skill in geometry. Um, and here Jesus' brothers are only wanting to leverage Jesus for their own good. Um, and that's, that's an opposition. That's a trial that Jesus is going through. And it's actually not, um, it's not new. Or it, it's actually happening today. You say, well, this, um, this isn't happening today. It is. The church is full of ungodly people doing the same thing. There's people that attend church, that, that take communion, that, um, but they do it only for their own benefit. And you say, well, why do they come to church? Well, they could do it for their own, um, to get the good thoughts of others. Some people come to church to sell their product. They see this as just a marketplace to give people, like, here, here's my business. Um, some people come to church uh, to gain friends, but they're, it's the same. They're manipulating, they're using the church, they're using religion to manipulate others to get what they want. 
And the, and the bottom line is this. As long as we live in the world, Christian, Satan's going to send us people like that. Satan's going to send people in the church that don't care about truth, that manipulate and, and, and are here for the wrong reasons because Satan hates what's going on. And, and, and here's, here we see in Jesus' day that was happening as well with his own family. <laughs> his own family. But you see Jesus, um, look at his response in verse 6 uh, to them. He's so gracious. You know, if I was him, I'd be tempted to rethink my mission if my own brothers, <laughs> my own brothers had a problem or were telling me to do something. But Jesus says in verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. <laughs> he's evangelistic. He's loving even to the, even when he's been being manipulated. Oh man, what a great example. And so he says, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast for my time has not fully come. So despite the pressure, Jesus continues. He stays on mission despite the trial. He looks to his God-given purpose and he says, this is what I was sent to do. Even if my closest blood relation, my brothers, are calling me aside, I will not move. I'm going to continue. So not only that, that's the first trial he runs up against, but he also runs to, into the murmuring crowds. That's my, that's my second point. That's the second trial that Jesus faces, the murmuring crowds. And you see that in verse 10. It says, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. And we have to kind of pause there because it almost seems like Jesus tells his brothers one thing and tells and does another. Doesn't it seem like that? He says, I'm, going to the, I'm not going up to the feast. My time's not here. But, his bro, but then he goes up to the feast. But the way to understand this is just that Jesus is saying, I'm not going up to the feast the way you want me to, brothers. I'm not going up to the feast to, to, for, to get you um, unrighteous gain. I'm going in my own way. I'm going in the way that my Father has commissioned me to go. So, um, that's not a, it's not a contradiction. It's just that um, Jesus didn't want to follow in his brother's counsel. So, and then verse 11, the Jews were looking for him, Jesus, at the feast, saying, where is he? <laughs> and there was much muttering about him among the people. It's the same word for murmuring, grumbling. There was much grumbling about Jesus. And some said, he's a good man. Ah, he's a good man. Stop harping on him. And others said, no, he's leading people astray. He's deceiving people. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So the, this, this trial is, is something that Jesus comes up against. There's a lot of complaining, murmuring. Everyone had an opinion on Jesus. Just kind of like today, everyone has an opinion on politics. Don't tell me yours. <laughs> but I know you have an opinion about it, even if it's, I have no opinion. Right? Some people have no opinion about politics. That's fine. Lots of opinions. Jesus had tons of people giving their opinions on him. Ah, I think he's good. I think he's bad. Well, I think his teaching's a little off here. Well, I think he could have worn a better uh, sackcloth on Tuesday. His, you know, he didn't have a good, his style isn't up to date. You know, oh, and did, you see that chair that he built in his, in, his, uh, in his childhood? It's not very good. He's a carpenter, but he's not really. You know, peop, there's so many people talking about Jesus' ministry. Um, just imagine that as, um, you know, none of us are public figures, but just imagine God calling you to preach. 
and to give a mission, and having to endure the throngs of people throwing words around about you constantly. He's this, he's that. Did you hear his Sermon on the Mount? Did you hear him heal on the Sabbath? You know, suffering's a part of Jesus' life. And, um, you know, it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't see it as, as something that is wrong with his ministry. He doesn't see all this oppression and opposition as, I'm doing the wrong thing. He ignores it and says, I'm doing what the Father told me to do. He doesn't let what people say change his calling. He doesn't let the opinions of others sway what he believes. He's going to endure the murmurings of the people in order to fulfill his calling. Same is true today about, our, about the church today. The world has their idea about what the church, what's going on in the church, right? Every news channel has opinions about Christians. <laughs> but if we're going to be like Christ, we must not be swayed by the opinions of others. We must not be swayed. If they call us bigots and oppressors for holding to God's truth, so be it. This is God's word. We cannot back down from it. Because Jesus didn't. Jesus stayed on mission. And I, I think it's also interesting to note that Jesus never uh, had one-on-one -on -one meetings. At least we didn't, we don't see that. But he didn't have one-on-one -on -one meetings with like all the people who had opinions with him. He didn't straighten them all out. Hey, all of you who have opinions, they're all wrong. It's, I have so much anxiety about it. Can we just get you all in a room and I'll straighten you out? Like, no. Stuck to his mission. But that's a trial, right? That's an that's a, that's a opposition that Jesus comes up against. So Jesus, again, has to deal with his manipulating brothers. He has to deal with the murmuring, the grumbling crowds. And he, next, he has to deal with the slandering Jews. The slandering Jews. And I, that, I get that in verses 14 to 24. And so in verse 14, it says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began teaching. He un unleashed the sword. Because when Jesus teaches, people listen. In verse 15, the Jews marvel and they say, how is it that this man has learning? And when he's never studied. Because Jesus' teaching, aside from this, was powerful and provocative. There was no equal there is no equal to when he gets up and preaches. This is the prince of preachers. And so the Jews are just taken aback. They are astounded at the authority of Jesus. And he's preaching in the temple. He has the authority of someone who has spent a lifetime studying the scriptures. Who is this carpenter from Nazareth? And so Jesus, as his rebuttal, he declares the mission statement of every preacher. If you're a preacher in here, which God has called you to be, or if you're a messenger of God, you should have this mission. In verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but it is his, him who sent me. My teaching is not mine, it's him who sent me. You know, that should be our, our creed. If, we're all messengers, Christians. We're all messengers of the king. And that should be what we tell the world. Look, this isn't my message. This is a, a message from heaven. I was, uh, last week I was getting food at Portillo's great place found out the chopped salad is really good there and um it is and uh so i'm talking to this guy in line and uh his name's calvin and i can't remember how we got on the topic but I, we started talking about god we started talking about um faith 
And so we have this whole conversation, and he kind of turns to me with a smile, and he's like, you sound like my preacher. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Calvin, don't you know that God has created every Christian to be a preacher? Don't you know that every person has a testimony and that we're all called to be messengers of the king? I said, even the sky is a preacher, Psalm 19. The sky above declares the glory of God. Everyone is a preacher of God. And so uh, it, was, it, was a, it was just a fun conversation where God allowed just the door to be open and speak the gospel. But, but when I read this verse of Jesus saying, look, it's not my teaching. It's of God. I think that's such a good reminder, us messengers in here, us Christians who are bringing the gospel to our coworkers, to our, to our fellow students, that we would say, hey, this message isn't from me. This isn't my opinion. This is a message from God. And even Jesus uses that line. Um, but this, that should be our creed. Uh, anyway, back to the text. So what we have here is an attack on Jesus' authority. Because um, uh, they basically say uh, in, in verse 20, you have a demon. So what they're saying is your teaching is terrible. We don't like your teaching. Your teaching is, is false. And so they're slandering him. Um, and uh, so Jesus is accused of being possessed by a demon. And he's being slandered. So think with me. If you're, if you're a messenger from God, if you've come to die on the cross, if you've come to be raised again, if you come with this mission, and here you are encountering this opposition, you might be tempted to think, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe this is the wrong thing. But that's not Jesus' thought. He presses further in because suffering is a part of the Christian life. Jesus embraced the suffering. He embraced the opposition that he encountered. And, and the same thing is today. Um, the authority of the, uh, of the Bible is being challenged every day. The authority of the Bible is being attacked. Um, you know, I could give you specific examples, but... Just to say, people in general are trying to bend the Bible to affirm their lifestyle. Whatever it is. If this is what I believe, I'm going to try to fit the Bible into my mold and get it to affirm my lifestyle. When, when the Bible should sit over us, we should not sit over the Bible and say, this is what I think the Bible means. The Bible should sit in our, as in our authority. The Bible says, this is what it means to be married. This is what it means to be created male and female. This is what biblical sex looks like. And, and, and we should sit under that authority because the Bible has authority and the people here are attacking that and it's happening today. And so, um, yeah, it's, tri it's a trial, it's, it's suffering. And, and when we stand for truth, if you decide to stand for truth, if you decide to put the Bible over yourself, you're going to suffer. You're going to encounter suffering. And finally, the last opponents, the last um, opposition Jesus faces is the authorities. They try to arrest him, right? <laughs> they try to send the guard out to grab him. And they're even trying to kill him. Um, I think it's interesting that every other approach of opposing Jesus has failed. We tried to, his brothers tried to, to, to manipulate him. The crowds are trying to whisper about him. They're trying to say that and discredit him. But Jesus is 
fixed on his mission. And so they're like, okay, we have to arrest him. We have to try to kill him. Um, and so in, in verse, verse 3, going back, it says, um, or verse, verse 1, it says the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now skip ahead. And it says, some of the people, in verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. They say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So here you have the murmurers again. It's too bad there are a bunch of cowards, because in verse 13 it says they feared the Jews. In verse... uh, 27, it says, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. <laughs> we know that you came from Nazareth. You're not from God. So Jesus proclaimed, verse 28, you know me, you know where I've come from, but I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him. And, I, and he sent me. Look at the mission, the missional focus. I am laser focused on my mission. I don't care about suffering. And verse 30 is like the apex of this passage. I love it. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. I love that. You know, it's, 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 it's remarkable just looking at this text, seeing all the trials that Jesus came up against. Just in this text, people were trying to kill him. And so um, we can see pretty plainly that Jesus experienced suffering. But now I want to move toward how can I apply this. Sometimes I do three points and I apply every point during the point. I'm kind of doing a different thing tonight. I I wanted to walk through the story. I wanted to give you the four um, oppositions that Jesus faced. And now I want to say, you know, what what is it to me? What, What use is it? How can it help our sanctification as Christians? So um, the first thing is this. If we want to have a biblical view of suffering, first is expect it. Expect suffering in your life if you're a Christian. Anticipate that if you try to live a godly life, you will encounter suffering. It is unavoidable. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. But in the world you will have tribulation. You have trial. You will have suffering if you're a Christian. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then uh, another verse. If you, if you like cross-references, write this one down. 1 Peter 4.12. Peter warns, Um, the elect exiles, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. I like that. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. He's talking to Christians who are like, suffering? What is this? He's saying, don't be surprised. The, The... Jesus was called to suffer. Don't be, don't be surprised if you being called into the same mission, have to suffer as well. And I do want to note, I think this is really important. If you are taking Matthew 28 seriously, make disciples of all the nations, teach them, baptize them. If you are taking that seriously, you're going to, you're going to suffer. 
as I said earlier, if you're, if you're laboring to help someone in their faith, Satan's against you, and even the sin of that person, your own sin's against you. And so expect suffering, even physical suffering. You know, there's been some late night phone calls um, that people have had with me <laughs> because they were suffering to mature me in my faith. Um, there was, there's been some times when I've taken five step ba- steps back in my faith and my mentors have said, no, I'm going to stay with you in that gap and I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you. That took some suffering from them. That took some prayer. That took some sleepless nights. That took some energy suffering. So if you're, if you're a Christian, expect suffering. If you're a Christian and you, don't, you aren't suffering, I'm worried for you. I'm, yeah, I'm worried. Why aren't you suffering? Are you trying to bring anyone to Christ? Are you, tr- are you laboring? Are you wrestling for souls? So how can I thrive in suffering? Expect it. And then number two, trust God. Trust God. And this is the point I want to end on and camp out on, is that God's will cannot be thwarted. God's purposes cannot be changed. And I think the nail in the coffin of this doctrine is verse 30, where it says that the crowds were trying to arrest Jesus. They were trying to silence him. But it says, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come, had not yet come. What is his hour? His hour to go to the cross. His hour to die. His hour to pay for the sins of humanity. But it was not time yet. In the time of the Lord, it was not time for Jesus to 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 be killed. And so not, not even these authorities could thwart God's plan. Um, one commentator put it like this. Men may hate God's heart, but they cannot tie his hands. I like that. You can't tie God's hands. And so despite the suffering, God is in control. As much as Satan wants to destroy the work of God on earth, he cannot move. Hear me, he cannot move without the permission of God. He cannot lay a finger on you. Uh, Mark chapter 5, I'm reminded of of the demons who are inhabiting this demon-possessed man. And they come to Jesus and they're begging Jesus to go into the pigs, if you know this passage. And so here's Jesus's, he has to give them permission. Here's Satan begging at the feet of Jesus. Please, please have mercy on me, Jesus. So demons are afraid of Jesus. Satan is afraid of Jesus. Satan cannot lift a finger without, without God's okay, without his say-so. Same with, uh, same with Job, right? Satan had to go before God and say, Oh God, let me, let me afflict your servant Job. And here is, is Christ. No one could take him. No one could arrest him. No one could lay a finger on him because his hour had not yet come. I love that. The Jews had no power over him because it was not the will of God at that time. And so, Christian, we can have confidence in suffering. I hope you see that. Yes, we're expecting it, but we can have confidence in it because, yes, we're going to face opposition. We're not going to be surprised when we come up against it, but we can live in confidence that no one can overpower the hand of God. No one can overpower If you're in Christ, your best life is to come, all right? 
This life isn't it. It's not the apex. It's not Mount Everest here. You're, the best life is to come, all right? And so what we need to do is 1 Peter 1.13, right? Set your hope on the coming of Christ. Um, set your hope on the fully on the grace that will be given to you when Christ Jesus is revealed. We can have confidence. This isn't our best life. The best life is yet to come. And, and secondly, if you don't know God here today, if you don't know God, all this hope of, of suffering, um, having purpose and meaning isn't for you. It doesn't, um, it's not applied to you because you're still guilty before God. That's what the Bible says. If you haven't repented of your sins, uh, you're still an object of God's wrath. So I, be, I just want to be careful because when I say God has a purpose in the trials, he doesn't, he doesn't for someone who is rejecting him. If you're rejecting God, there is no promise of, of salvation for you. And it is true that your best life is now. Because the life to come will be full of judgment. So, so friends, turn from your sin. If you don't know Christ, turn from your sin and repent. Trust Christ. Trust in Christ. And Christian, you can live in confidence. You can suffer well, knowing that God has a purpose in it. And that, that God's will and his, his purposes cannot be thwarted in it. So, let's pray. Lord, oh, oh, the joy of knowing that even our deepest, darkest valleys have purpose. Purpose from you, if, as we are, if we are Christians. Lord, if we are Christians, we can reinterpret every single instance in our life and see it as something you mean for good. We can, we can reinterpret the hardships, like friends manipulating us and opinions of others and and, and opposition, we can reinterpret everything as your love for us if we are in you. Lord, what, what can hold us back? What can keep us down? What can keep our joy, Lord, knowing that, secure in that? Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, even every year you call us deeper. Lord, you call us into greater trials, greater sufferings. Lord, for your glory, give us strength. I pray for those who are boldly trying to share the gospel. Lord, with their co-workers, with their with their roommates, with their schoolmates. Lord, I pray for them that you would embolden them. Lord, that you would give them the joy of your Holy Spirit as they're obeying you. I pray for those, um, Lord, in here that have not repented of their sin. I pray that they would come to you, that they would see their sin, and that they would um, that they'd repent and believe and find life in you. Lord, that's what we want. And I pray even for small groups that you would um, be over the discussion Help us um, and sanctify us in your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Amen.